Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to the New Statesman podcast. I'm Deputy Editor Helen Lewis. And this week, I'll be talking to Stephen Bush and Anusha Kalian about the end of term and the start of a campaign. And Ashley Cowburn and I will be talking about benefit sanctions and what's gone wrong at the DWP. But first, it's the end of an era, really, an end of term, certainly. Parliament has now prorogued and the campaign is now officially in full swing. I'm joined by Stephen Bush, our Staggers editor, and our deputy web editor, Anusha Kalian, to look back fondly, or maybe not that fondly, um, at a very eventful Parliament. Um, first of all, Stephen, it was a very exciting, in the small frame of reference that this thing applies, PMQs this week. What happened? Um, so... Labour have been making some hay with uh, George Osborne's refusal to rule out a VAT rise, and they wanted to continue this in the last uh, PMQs so they could kind of launch that out and have that going on as we launch into the campaign proper. And then um, David Cameron sort of floored Ed Miliband by, he stood up and goes, so, are you going to rule out a raise? David Cameron, yes. And then Ed Miliband sort of never really recovered from there. It was one of those kind of awful one-sided... PMQs, where he's not very good at thinking on his feet, and he kind of got massacred a bit. Um, yeah. So George Osborne laid this trap quite carefully, didn't he? Because he appeared in front of the Select Committee the previous day, and they said, will you rule out a VAT rise? And he went, I couldn't possibly <laughs> say. Thus kind of leading Labour along the kind of, oh, hang on a minute, lads, we've got them on the run. It turned out they did not, in fact, have them on the run. I mean, the thing is, is it, it, it sort of is a good bit of trap laying in the, it's, if you dig a hole put a, a sign marked trap on it and someone walks into it you've still dug a hole but <laughs> ultimately Labour failed to war game one of the two there were two possible responses and they only prepared for one of them and it comes back to the big question of the parliament which is to be honest you do kind of wonder do the people around Ed Miliband really care all that much about the awful treatment of uh, people on benefits or the consequence of austerity or us leaving the EU because they don't act like a group of people who are that interested in getting back into government. You kind of, they, they fail to prepare for 50% of the possible response. There's a thing that they, t- they say to, you know, lawyers doing cross-examination, which is that you should never ask any question to which you do not know the answer. 
so you should never go and I were you in the garden at that time of night and if they go well no and obviously and I can't prove that I can prove that I wasn't that's your kind of entire case is stuffed and this is a kind of a version of that isn't it is that if you go ah can you rule it out and they go yeah I can rule it out then you need to have a comeback that goes do well you won't rule out something else and your face smells it was particularly strange because the conservatives Every time they've won an election since 1992, so they ruled out raising taxes in 1992, they went up. They ruled out raising VAT in 2010, they went up. So it's weird because it's a plan based on the idea of going, the Tories lie about putting VAT up, but this time they're going to go, oh, shucks, you've got me banged to rights. Yeah, and I think it's exactly as you say. It was very odd. Um, and Anoush, there's been some small-scale skullduggery as well. Um, so Speaker John Burko has been, I think it's fair to say, a controversial figure throughout the Parliament. You know, from my point of view, I think he's done a lot of things that I would applaud. So he's tried to make Parliament more accessible to disabled people. He's tried to have a thought about what the role of women might be. He's opened a creche, which, you know, is getting us into the 20th century, but not the 21st. But he has also wound up a lot of particularly Tories, hasn't he? So what's happened there? Um, Well, people find him incredibly annoying because he's thought to have his favourites. He's thought to be quite a preening, self-regarding figure. He does things like, you know, play tennis matches and do lots of uh, lots of these public publicity stunts and has lots of, uh, uh, as you could see in the Inside the Commons documentary, he has... uh, concerts and um, entertainers round to his house. His quarters are on the parliamentary estate. Um, And so people do find him a bit of an irritating figure. Um, However, he has done some really good things. He's been a moderniser. He turned up in in normal clothes, I mean, with a gown, but, you know, without the court dress, the traditional court dress that his predecessors would have worn, um, which I think is a step in the right direction to making Parliament look slightly more normal. Uh, And then, as you said, he set up the the creche and he's also... uh, um, held ministers more to account. He's made them answer some more urgent questions. Um, and as well as doing all of those things, he set up a parliament helpline for staff who felt bullied or harassed, which has obviously been a big theme of this parliament as well. So all in all, he's done some, he's, he's really transformed parliament in, in any way that you can transform such a, such an archaic place. And his reward for this has been that William Hague has put forward a motion to make it easier to replace him. Yeah, um, so they've snuck through on the very last day of Parliament this vote on um, having a secret ballot to vote for the Speaker of the House of Commons. Usually, at the beginning of every new Parliament, the Speaker is just nodded through and it's uh, it's sort of just a traditional thing rather than an actual vote. But uh, these MPs who want to get rid of John Burko think it's a good thing to to have a secret ballot so that people are more likely to vote against him. Hmm. And I'm going to be slightly unfair and ask you both to nominate your favourite moment from this Parliament. Now, it doesn't have to be in the Commons itself. If you want to nominate Jeremy Hunt ringing that bell and the end falling off, I won't. I will judge you a little bit, but I won't judge you that much. Stephen, uh, I'm actually going to go for um, Harriet Harman, who I love. I think Harriet's amazing. <laughs> um, uh, was standing in for Ed Miliband against Nick Clegg. Stands up and goes. So how, you've had seven chances to promote a woman to the cabinet now. How how many how many have you promoted? And it was wonderful because it's an issue on which the Liberals have a a, a, a dire and completely inexcusable record. Um, he also is usually quite forthcoming about matters regarding women. He famously bragged about sleeping with thirty women. So he has uh, slept with more women than he has promoted because he's promoted none to the cabinet. And it was brilliant because it was. Um, it was every, everything I, I, I love about Harriet Harman. It was absolutely core to the issue that she's done more than any other active politician to advance. 
It was a wonderful exploitation of the rules of the House of Commons, and it was visible from space, but impossible for Nick Clegg to dodge. It was brilliant. Mm. Um, mine's probably a bit less optimistic than Stephen's. Um, I think something that really sums up what this parliament has shown was when Ed Miliband was doing a Q&A with some young people on, on Sky. This was quite recently. Um, and one of them said, what, what jobs have you had outside of politics? And Ed Miliband turned around very earnestly and said, oh, you know, I was a... <laughs> <laughs> I was a treasury advisor, which I think is very important. And th- this boy was just, you know, astonished. And, and it was just absolutely... Uh, I mean, it, I think it sums up the problem with this parliament is that MPs haven't noticed that people just don't connect with them anymore and that even when they try and do politics differently, in inverted commas, they fail. I've got a new favourite moment of this parliament, which is discovering <laughs> that you can do an Ed Miliband impression. <laughs> How much more fun is that going to make the podcast for the next six weeks? Um, I'm going to get... Stephen, you're going to have to... Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Do a Harriet Harman impression. So get, <laughs> get working on that as soon as possible and we'll report back. Um, I'll say for the moment, thank you very much to Stephen and Anoush. This week, the Work and Pensions Select Committee suggested there should be an independent inquiry into benefit sanctions, following several accusations that people have died when their benefits were withdrawn. I'm joined by Ashley Cowburn, and Stephen Bush joins us again. Um, Ashley, first of all, before we start on this topic, tell me about the joy that was your morning at the Lib Dem poster launch. <laughs> yeah, so I left my house at about 7 this morning to attend the Lib Dem poster launch, which started at 8.20 with Danny Alexander. Um, and there was about 12 activists stood there, and about three of them were probably from the Lib Dem press office. And there's probably about four of them cheering as well, so it was quite depressing scenes in the rain. And... <laughs> um, well, that's, yeah, that's, you've painted quite a vivid picture. Mm. And uh, I should also say congratulations to you because you did a great interview this week with Simon Danchuk, who is a free thinking, shall we say, um, Labour backbencher. And um, I can't repeat what he said people say to him about Miliband, otherwise, we're going to, Apple will give us an explicit rating. But um, suffice it to say that there is some discontent within mm. the party over how Ed Miliband comes across on the doorstep, isn't there? Um, well, no, according to Dancer, not very well at all. Um, he said to me that outside the M25 that he probably wouldn't get any votes anywhere beginning with an R. And he's more of a tough than David Cameron, that the public would rather go for a pint with David Cameron, which is not very good for... It's not the ringing endorsement you'd hope for at the beginning of of the short campaign. But let's move on now to a story that you've been covering for us for for several months now, actually, which is the story of the benefits regime. Um, I've written previously about universal credit and this this kind of never-ending process of uh, we're now assured is is Mm. totally brilliantly working. But the benefits sanctions regime has been a big theme of this parliament about mm. whether or not both parties agree that you have to have some mechanism by which if people don't seem to be looking for work, you encourage them with a carrot or a stick into doing that. 
But what's the problem with the sanctions regime that was outlined by the Select Committee? Um, so we've seen like probably an increasing stringent system since 1980. And I think it was only in 2012 where it became a bit more ruthless because you, they started... Um, so instead of the two-week minimum period, it's now a month minimum period, and now it can go to four years, the sanctions. Um, and obviously with the other cuts with the local services and the increasing food banks, there are a, a reported higher number of attempted suicides and suicides related to DWP activity. Um, and Disability News Service FOI this um, in December and found that since February 2012, the DWP have investigated 60 deaths in related to DWP activity. Um, but Esther McVeigh said at the Sanctions Committee that it was 49, so there is a bit of... There is some discrepancy, and yeah. of course it might be that not all of those are found to have anything sure. to do with the, the benefit regime, but there certainly are kind of big questions. So they want an independent inquiry, mm-hmm. and then also they, they want inquiries of people who are found to have yeah, died so this, in suspicious circumstances. So this will be a separate body um, set up in the style of the Independent, independent Police Commission, um, and this is basically for relatives will be able to apply to this commission to have the reasons for their relatives... Death and so kind of super kind of inquest, yeah. so turbocharged inquest. Stephen, I'm interested in the, in the politics of this because it's it's very difficult for Labour to to find their position on this. There's a lot of grassroots activist anger. I know whenever we publish anything about be- benefits, you know, it people read the hell out of it. But Labour is still stuck in this kind of cleft stick where they're trying to not be soft on what they perceive as kind of or they voters perceive as, as scroungers. So where are they now on this? I mean, they're in a they're still in a bit of this no man's land because what they are, what they sort of, the play, space they want to be in is that wonderful Gordon Brown line or the kind of Bill Clinton line of, yeah, uh, uh, a hand up, not a hand out, or the Bill Clinton thing, work hard for the middle class. The US politics have this weird definition of the middle class, which basically includes everyone who doesn't own their own skyscraper and everyone who wants to be in the middle class. And that's how the left has traditionally defanged the the charge that it always has in the mind of voters, yeah, when at the last election when people asked to draw the Labour Party, they drew a man on on the couch. On couch, yeah. Um, and so it is a big electoral problem for them. I think what Labour have got wrong under Liam Byrne and Rachel Reeves is that they've forgotten that the caveat is as important as the, the bit where you go, well, we'll have a hand, uh, uh, hand up, is actually as important as saying we won't have the hand out. This is very much akin to the kind of Mandelson... We're intensely relaxed about people being filthy rich, with the second part of that sentence being equally important, which is as long as they pay their taxes. And if you get one half or the other forgotten, then it presumably it it totally distorts the prism you're seeing it through. Yeah, and I also think that Labour have kind of been taken aback by, one, the willingness of the Treasury and Number 10 to persist with a benefits regime they know isn't working. Mm. I think most people thought that Ian Duncan Smith would be reshuffled out in 2012, and this project, which is... it now appears we can say objectively is killing people, um, would be quietly mothballed. But instead, at every point, what the Conservatives have been willing to do is go, here's a dividing line, are you willing to cross it? Oh, you are. We'll go further and further back. Because basically what they want to do is get to a point where they finally have a policy, then the Labour Party goes, no, we're not into that, and then they can jump up and down yelling, welfare party, welfare party. Well, that's a, that's an incredibly depressing way of looking at it, but probably a, quite an accurate one. Um, I'm going to uh, finish by asking both of you for a prediction. When do you think universal credit will be fully up and running by? 
Um, I'm going to say post-2019, 2020. Ooh, I think that's ambitious. <laughs> I think that's already ambitious, Stephen. I think in the first reshuffle, regardless of... Either Ian Duncan Smith will no longer... Will, yeah, the Conservatives will be in opposition, or he'll be quietly sidelined. There will be a pause or a freeze or some other kind of euphemism, and then it will quietly be killed off in about 2018. Mm. Okay, that's interesting. I mean, I've I've heard people on the right say to me, one of the big problems with universal credit is it makes the marginal rate, it makes the rate at which it becomes no longer worthwhile working very obvious, and that then becomes a real political pressure point. So actually, one of the kind of benefits for 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 right wingers of the current muddly system is that it's harder to pin that charge if you're making it easier for people to be on benefits than in work. So I'm gonna yeah, I'm going to I'm gonna gang up against you, Ashley, and I'm gonna say I think. I I will be very intrigued to live in a land in which universal credit is both up and working and its computer system functioning. I don't I think that might be Narnia, that land. <laughs> we might never reach it. But um for the moment I'll say thank you very much to Ashley and Stephen. You've been listening to the New Statesman podcast presented by me, Helen Lewis, and produced by Anna Leskovitz. You can find us every week at newstatesman.com forward slash podcast or on iTunes. Our theme music is Devil with the Devil by the Underscore Orchestra, licensed under Creative Commons. Hello, Freddie here. I want to tell you about a new way you can support the New Statesman's independent journalism. Every morning I send out Morning Call, our daily newsletter covering everything you need to know about British politics. It's free to sign up, plus for just £3 a month, you'll get a recommended daily piece of ours sent to you in full, plus exclusive polling analysis from Ben Walker, a weekly update from Will Dunn, and our featured piece on Sundays. If you enjoy this podcast, you'll love Morning Call. Head to morningcall.substack.com and subscribe now.